Welcome to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. So today what we are doing is we're continuing our series, The Struggle Israel. So last Sunday was Mother's Day. So I did a talk on Mother's Day that was purely targeted towards that. If you missed or didn't notice, online I still submitted a talk for The Struggle Israel because we've been going through kind of my new book, just the vibe about it. We're actually not talking about anything that's actually in the book because that would just, that would be crazy. <laughs> that would be a bit silly because it's so short. Like you couldn't just take content from it and do four talks. Like it, literally I would be just reading from it over the Sundays. So I've been talking about things connected to it, ideas that are similar to it but in a different way. So last week I submitted a talk online which you can check out on the SoundCloud or on the app or on the website, and you can hear that talk, and it will kind of bring you up to date. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC 1. One thing I didn't mention the other week, so I have got a copy of the book. If you do want to grab it, they're like a fiver. It's really short. You can read it on the toilet, which is cool, um, and it's just a, it's a great toilet read, man. You know, one of those ones where you're just like, you know, you are clogged up, and you are like praying. <laughs> you are praying for that release in Jesus' name, like... Man, you're doing deliverance on that toilet. Coming out in the name of Jesus. We loose you and all that kind of stuff. So this is a great read for one of those kind of unblockage times. Um, yeah, man, it's a book that, as I told you guys last week, got me in trouble in Texas because the struggle is real and it's got a mushroom cloud of a nuclear explosion on the front and roses and in customs, that doesn't go down well when you're transporting 300 copies into America. It kind of spells terrorist, and I got interrogated. It was great. So, it's a really cool book. If you want to grab one, there are five of us. So today, UFC 1. So recently, it's been, I love the UFC. I love mixed martial arts. I don't do it because I would get mashed up, but I love watching it. it it's amazing for me. Conor McGregor, huge fan. Darren Till, a scouser, absolute beast. Love it. There's been a few fights recently that really grabbed my attention. Um, last night was UFC London, which is crazy I'm doing this today because I didn't realize that was happening. And there was a, a fight yesterday where this guy was losing on points the whole way through all three rounds. There were 15 seconds left, 15 seconds. And he even got hit once where he looked like he went unconscious as, as he was on the floor. But while it looked like he was going unconscious, he got his legs around the guy's neck, pulled his knee in, and the guy tapped out with two seconds left on the clock. Two seconds left. I mean, I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. It was crazy. And I was like, wow, that is so, so cool. So today we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 32, verse 22 and on. The same night he arose, this is Jacob, a guy called Jacob, took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children and crossed over the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone. Now the reason he's done this is because Jacob has grown up being this dodgy guy who was born wrestling his brother. When he came out of the womb, he was holding on to his brother's heel. He tried his whole life to steal his brother's life. He stole his brother's birthright, he stole his brother's blessing. He was just trying to live the life of being the firstborn even though he's the secondborn. And he stole it all from him to the point where his brother and him, they went their separate ways. He had to flee for his life away from his brother and he ended up living a totally different life he never expected. And so now this is at a time when he's coming home to see his brother. And he's sent people and he's heard that when he sent people to go speak to his brother saying, I'm coming to see you, I'm kind of patch things up kind of thing. He hears back from his messengers that his brother is coming and he is rolling deep. 
he has got bare heads with him, loads of people. And Jacob is getting scared. So what Jacob does is he goes, let's take my, 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 my wife, my kids, uh, and, and some of these servants, let's get them out of the equation, let's get them away, let's get my possessions away. And it's just him alone, him alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You have striven, you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Man. It was crazy. It got me thinking of um, the fight I watched last night, this guy, the last few seconds, getting this choke, getting that win. Man, you see, so often when a fighter is losing constantly through the fight, psychologically they lose it because they know it's gone, they know it's slipping away, they know they're not gonna be able to win this one, and mentally they get broken. And some guys, the, the life, I've heard other fighters say they could feel the life slipping away out of the guy they were fighting because as they were beating this guy's body in so many different ways and so many different angles, the body starts to weaken, it starts to soften, and the guy isn't in it quite so much. And, and fighters say they can feel it. They can feel when the other guy is close to tapping. They can feel it. And they say, they, I've heard so many fighters say this in interviews, they say, I could feel his body breaking and I gave him a way out. I gave him a way out. So they allow them, to, they see the guy no longer want, is about that life, he doesn't want to fight anymore and they end up getting the submission because they beat him into a place where the guy's like, I'm not about this anymore, I can't do this anymore. And they offer themselves up in an easy way because the body isn't as alert, isn't as with it. And now in the story of Jacob, what's happening is he's wrestling with this guy and it's getting late. It's getting into the, into the hours of the night. Like UFC is like three rounds, five minutes. Someone hasn't told Jacob about the time on the clock. It's like the fight is over and he is still holding on to this guy and the guy turns around and he goes, Jacob, he's like, he doesn't know his name, he goes, he goes, let me go. And Jacob goes, I will not let go until you bless me. I won't let go of you until I receive a blessing. So many people in life let go way, way too soon, whether it's their dreams, aspirations, the call of God upon their lives, or a relationship, or a situation that can occur. Like we just so often, like our body starts to give way, we get a bit tired, we get a bit weak, and we give in to things we should never give in to. We end up doing stuff we should never do. Just because we don't want to go the distance, the body starts to wear away. But looking at that fight last night, where two seconds left on the clock, losing the whole fight, beaten down, pummeled, almost knocked unconscious with a hit, getting a last minute choke in, and winning the fight. And it hit me at that moment, when I already knew this was what I was gonna be talking about, I couldn't believe my eyes that I saw that. The commentator, Dan Hardy, a veteran of the sport, goes, I have never seen anything like that in my entire life. And it made me think of Jacob, a guy who just says, you know what, I'm not tapping out. I'm not tapping out until I get my blessing. And you and I, so often, we quit too early. So, all throughout this series, I've been kind of in different ways, different types and different stories, I've been trying to communicate to us that we need to just keep wrestling with God through situations, through circumstance, through relationship with him, we have to wrestle with God. So I wanna share some stories of you 
of wrestling with God in different circumstances. I remember growing up as a kid and my dad told me that there was a stage in his life where he owned like a neon sign company. So he'd make these neon signs of his mate. They both owned it together, they were partners, and they would put up these neon signs on buildings all around London. And they were making great money and the business was doing really, really, really good. And then one day my dad was praying and he just felt God say to him, you need to sell up and get out of the company. Sell it to your partner and just get on out. And like my dad isn't like well educated. It's not like the kind of thing where he sells up on this, he just flies into another job and he's gonna earn a lot of money or money equivalent to this. But God says, you need to sell up this business and get out. And my dad said to me that he felt God say it and he just said to my, my mom, like, we, I've got to sell, I've got to get out of this. I feel God is saying this to me. My dad said, he went to his partner and he, he sold out his, his stake in the business to him and, and that was it. And the, the business kept on making a lot of money. But then my dad said there was this moment where it all went downhill, where people stopped all going for neon signs anymore. And it wasn't long after my, I don't know if it was six months or a year down the line, the whole business caved in and fell apart. And my dad was like, wow, I am so glad that even though I wrestled with God on that, where I was like, I'm not sure about this. I know that this isn't a good thing for me. I should keep this business. But he just trusted that God's perspective was better. Sometimes it's not a business thing. Sometimes it's about, it's about having a child. Man, I've had friends who, who cannot have kids. They've spent thousands on all sorts of treatments. And they've wrestled with it and it's the most painful thing because you can't go take a walk in the park to clear your head because you see a mum pushing a kid on a swing that you can't have. It's agony. It's hell. And wrestling with God through that is so difficult. And I've seen friends do it. I've seen friends go through that and it's crazy. But I don't know, I've shared this story with you so many times before, but it was here at City Hill one Sunday. I was, we were meeting down the front back then and a friend of mine came and, and, and she was in that situation and we were talking about Jonah and how the way I spun things was that you have to step out and you have to serve people regardless of the outcome and where you're at. And you have to, you have to put God first. And that actually it's when we show publicly our vulnerability and our repentance and turn around to God and say, hey God, I've got things wrong, let me turn around to you. That's when everyone on the boat made vows to God and he was thrown in the sea, the storm stopped, they made vows. And I said that and she came up to me and said, you know what, God's been calling me to minister to mums who can't have kids. But she goes, how can I do that when I can't have kids? And I remember saying to her, it doesn't matter, you've just got to do it. If God's calling you, you just do it. And so she started reaching out to mums who couldn't have kids. And I'm the godfather of their son. And I was at his fourth birthday yesterday. Yesterday, his fourth birthday, seeing this kid that shouldn't exist running around the room playing, having an amazing time in the bouncy castle. Because sometimes, no matter how painful something is, you can't tap out early. You've got to keep wrestling with him. You've got to keep fighting with him. You can't just let go. Sometimes it's a relationship. Man, so many times it's a relationship for so many people. The worst thing about relationships and dating is that when you're in a, in a weird place in a, in a relationship, when you're in a, in, a, in, a, in a dating scenario where you know, you know in your heart, like, I should not be in this situation. I should not be with this person. I shouldn't be doing this thing, or I shouldn't be doing that, or I should be doing this, or I shouldn't be doing that. The difficulty is, and it's like, it's like you're standing in front of the White Cliffs of Dover. It's like there's this huge wall of chalk and all you can see is just that. All you can see is that person. All you can see is them. You're just, you're infatuated. You can't see clearly. You're like a guy in a UFC octagon who's had his face pummeled to pieces and you're dazed. 
and you can't put your hands up to defend yourself anymore. You can't make any good moves, any good strikes because you have no idea what's going on. You're just like, whoa. And you're just open to... And the problem is sometimes when we're dazed and we're like that and our head's getting knocked around, we make terrible, terrible decisions. And it's just like, we can't see anything because there's this huge cliffs in front of us. And sometimes we feel God speaking to us about a situation that, oh man, you need to do this in this relationship. You need to say this. You need to, you need to cut that one off. You need to let that one go. You need to fight through and succeed in this relationship. This is, you tap out all the time. You always quit in a relationship. This is the time to see it through. This is time to give everything you have. This is the time to love with all you are. And we hear those things from God. And the times when God says, I want you to love with all you are, we go, oh, I don't feel like loving anymore, man. I am so beat down. I don't want to do that anymore. I want out of this. And then the times when God says, ditch the person, we're going, oh no, oh no, oh, 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 oh. And all it is, is the white cliffs of Dover. You just can't see anything. All you can see is this white cliff. But the thing is, you're standing there, but God, God isn't just even high up. He's not even a plane. God is beyond our comprehension, and he sees a perspective so unbelievably unique that no one else has. And the question is, like my dad and his business in the relationship, will you trust him? Will you trust what he's saying to you? Will you trust what he's speaking to you? Because if you won't, oh man, it's not going to go too well. This never goes well. I know that because I've been at the White Cliffs of Dover and I've stuck at a relationship I should have never, never been anywhere near. And then there's other times where I've been in a relationship where I should have put so much more effort in. Whether that's a friendship or dating, whichever one. I've, I've, I've screwed up both, both ways in both. And then when we think about wrestling with God and the practicalities of that, because Christians love to say that phrase, like, oh man, I'm just, I'm just wrestling with some stuff. I'm just, I'm just in my prayer life. I'm just, I'm just wrestling. And, and, and I'm like, sometimes we don't, we, like, what, is that, what does that even mean? What does that even look like? Well, Jesus had this conversation and he was talking to some guys and he says, it's a famous phrase actually, where two or three are gathered together in my name. I'm there in the midst. We say it all the time as Christians. And people say it all the time and they don't have any understanding of what it means. Jesus was talking about stuff's going down Someone has messed up stuff in your life. You've gone to try and get forgiveness and get it sorted. They've gone, screw you. You've then taken people with you going, no, no, let's fix this together. Come on, man, let's fix this. And they've gone, do one. And then it gets brought out before the church. And then when the church got involved, they went, church, do one. And it's all a hot mess. And then Jesus says, ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you. He goes, I give you the keys to bind and to loose. I give you the keys to hold on to that person and love them through this. I give you the keys as well to go, you know what? See you later. He says, treat them as a Gentile. When he says that, he's not saying be rude to someone. He's saying, understand that they're not one of you. You have to understand mentally in your mind, they're not one of you. Because the way they're acting, they have no regard for who God is, for who his people are, and what, that you're trying to solve it, not because you want to point fingers at anyone, but you want everyone to be together. You want everyone to be loved. You want everyone to be healthy. And then at the end of it, he says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst. So if someone's saying to you like, man, two or three together, there I am in the midst, well, they, what they, they don't know what they're saying. They just mean that, oh, Jesus is here. They're having a worship service. I can feel his presence. Two or three are gathered. What he's really saying, what it really means is stuff is going down today and Jesus is having to step in because we can't sort out our beef together. So it's a weird way that some Christian sayings come about that we just use for everything. But Jesus is really using it for going, it's a beef thing, bruv, and I'm going to step in and I'm going to sort things out. And then while he says that, Peter then goes, Okay, Jesus, well, you know, since you're on the subject, um, yeah, so how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Like, like, I think Jesus, personally, I should forgive him like seven times. Seven times. And anyone in Peter's time and world would have gone seven times. Jeez, man's forgiving, bruv. Because rabbis were teaching you forgive three times. 
You forgive three times. That was the culture. You forgive three times. Peter says seven times. So he's not only doubled it, he's added one. He's not only doubled it and added one, he's picked God's number and gone, well, that's it for forgiveness. And then Jesus is kind of like, well, 70 time, 77 or 70 times seven, depending on which way you read it. So Jesus put some astronomical figure out there and Peter's like probably like bricking it at that point. Like, oh man, that's a lot of forgiveness. But then Jesus goes a step further. He starts talking about forgiveness and this is what it means to wrestle with God. This is, this is what it means to wrestle with God. So Jesus tells a story. He says, so there's this king. And this king has a guy who owes him like a hundred million pounds. And it's pay up day. And the king goes, where is my a hundred million pounds? And the guy turns around and says, I am so sorry, your majesty. I don't have the money. I can't pay you. I don't have it. I can't get it. And it's not like today where you can declare yourself bankrupt. What happens is, Family Guy, Stewie Griffiths. Where's my money, Brian? Where's my money? The baseball bat comes out and you start torturing them and you start taking chunks out of the person. That's, that's how it went down. In those times, you didn't have the money, man, you're getting messed up. And it, it's not illegal. It's not roughing up by some pool shark out on the street. This is how it went down. You got messed up. And so this guy is about to get messed up. And he goes, mercy, cries out, please, mercy, I'm, I'm so sorry, please, please. And the king's looking at him and the king goes, the king is moved to compassion. He goes, man, I, I forgive you. The guy's like, what? I forgive you the hundred million pound. Forget it, it's done. It's gone, it's gone. And the guy leaves there gassed and he's so excited because he had this huge debt that had been hanging over him for so long and now it's lifted, he doesn't owe anything. But as he starts to think about it, like the slate's clean, this is an opportunity to get ahead. This is the opportunity to build something. That's not hanging over me anymore. I can build a bright future because I know a guy that owes me like a thousand pound. So he rocks up at this guy's house and goes, hey bro, where's, where's my thousand pound? And the guy's like, bruv, I can't pay the thousand pound. I don't, I don't, I don't have it. I haven't, I haven't got the pay, I haven't got the money. I haven't got it. I'm so sorry, I haven't got it. And then he goes, where's my money, Brian? <laughs> Give me my money. And then he gets the baseball bat. And he just starts swinging, he starts swinging, and he starts swinging. And this guy's getting messed up. Bones broken, parts moving, messing this guy up, messing him up. And then the king hears about it. And the king grabs him in. And he's like, what the heck have you done? I forgave you a hundred million pounds and you messed him up over a thousand quid. And then Jesus tells us that the king deals very badly with this guy. And then he drops a bomb. He says, we're talking about God and you because you see God will forgive you of much. He will forgive you of everything, everything. God will forgive you everything. But you have to forgive others. You have to forgive others. He says, if you don't forgive others, God is king and he's going to come back and he's going to go, where's my money, Brian? Where's my we have this idea of God. Listen, God will forgive you, he'll forgive you, he'll forgive you. But as soon as you don't step into the realm of forgiveness and step out of it, God isn't 
He's not the guy you think he is. All of a sudden, God is about that life. I'm not kidding you. People say things about Jesus. This is what Jesus says. That the moment you stop forgiving, God's about that life again. He's about that life again. But God will be quick to forgive you. Always quick to forgive you. But he calls us to forgive. And that's what it means to wrestle with God. Wrestling with God is wrestling with forgiveness. Forgiving other people that hurt us. That's the hard bit. Getting God to forgive me, that's easy, it's great. God does it so quick and it's amazing. And it's like a hundred million pounds just get lifted off my shoulders and I feel great about the world. And I'm gassed about my life, but then someone hurts me and I'm like, whoa, fall back. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. You're out of here. And then all of a sudden God's saying, where's my money, Andy? Where's my money? So sometimes when we talk about I'm wrestling with God a little bit, pay a lip service when we wrestle with God we wrestle with the most painful thing there is we start to wrestle with forgiveness the thing about wrestling with God is it's unbelievably uncomfortable it's so unbelievably painful and I'll tell you why it's painful because I started to think about it this morning as I was driving here I started to think about wrestling with God and the times where people have hurt me and I'm wanting to tell because see Prayer is a great thing. Prayer is the best thing ever. I can tell God exactly how it is, exactly how I feel, and be so honest in ways that I can't in any other setting and in any other means. And I'm telling God exactly how it is about this person. And this person has hurt me, and I'm, I'm listing it all out. I'm chucking it all out there. I'm saying exactly like, this person did this, this person did that. I'm feeling justified in my absolute hatred for them and how I want bad things to happen for them, and I would love it if it did happen. And I'm feeling that way. But then what happens is, as I'm talking to God, I'm wrestling with him. And as I wrestle with God, it's different from Jacob's story. Jacob's wrestling with this man and this man's there and he, he's all together. But when, but when I start wrestling with God, I'm wrestling with Jesus. And when I'm wrestling with Jesus, I'm wrestling with this mangled corpse body that's alive, but the skin is hanging off. And I'm wrestling with Jesus and there's these holes in his, in his side as I'm trying to wrestle with him. And as I'm wrestling with Jesus, there's this crown of thorns on his head and there's this blood that's just coming and there's parts of his skin just falling off. And then I'm starting to realize that I'm not setting this person free when I forgive them. When I forgive them, I'm setting me free. They have messed me up. They have hurt me so deep. But it's only when I wrestle with God, I realize the person that's getting set free is me. It's me. And if you want to be set free, you have to wrestle with God. You have to forgive. Because even if God has forgiven you and you start not being about that forgiveness life, he will be rocking up at your door saying, where is my money? Where is my money? And let me tell you, it's hard to look a crucified Jesus in the face and tell him where his money is. Because you won't let go of what someone else has done for you. Because see, his body wasn't just mangled there for your sin, it was mangled there for their sin, the people that have hurt you. It was for all sin. So today what I want to encourage us with, I want to encourage each and every one of us to wrestle with God and to wrestle with forgiveness because living a life filled with hatred and bitterness over the people that have hurt us, bullied us, mistreated us, abused us, all those things, we think holding on to them, we hold them in prison and in chains. We don't, we hold ourselves in prison and in chains. But when we forgive, we find that we are free. We are truly free. I'm going to pray for us today and then that'll be it. Father, I thank you so much that the example we have in the story of Jacob as he wrestled with you and out of holding on, he got a whole new life. 
just by clinging on. Sometimes wrestling with you, God, and wrestling with forgiveness is such an unbelievably painful thing. Sometimes we're hanging by a hair, hanging by a hair, clinging on to you. May we wrestle with you this week in the areas where we have unforgiveness, knowing that without wrestling through that, there is no forgiveness for us. I thank you that Jesus ends the illustration by saying we have to forgive from our heart. So often, people try and turn forgiveness into this conscientious decision, and it is, and it helps us, but it ends up having to be from the heart because that's what Jesus says, and there is no getting around what he says. Father, this week, may we wrestle with you and may we realize who you are, what you've done for us, that we may find true freedom and forgiveness in forgiving those that have wronged us. In Jesus' name, amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london.